In this comic book is a love story, a boy and girl in love. They get married, and after an offensively lurid description, illustrated, of course, of the couple's wedding night, the book shows how the bride murders her husband by chopping his head off with an axe. effect of these comic books on the children. Uh, all of our testimony from psychiatrists and uh, children themselves uh, show that it's uh, very upsetting, it has a bad moral effect, and that it is directly responsible for a substantial amount of juvenile delinquency and child crime. Hello again, friends and fans of freaky, frightening, and fantastic funnies. This is Four Color Fear, the podcast dissecting and inspecting horror comics. Bob here, and after an unexpected and unplanned two-month hiatus, we are back with episode eight, where we will take a look at Weird Chills number three, published by Stanley Morse in 1954. The publisher, Stanley Morris, is an interesting character in comic book history. He published comics at various locations in New York, on Broadway, Madison Avenue, and Fifth Avenue. Between 1951 and 1956, uh, he utilized various different imprints, such as Aragon, Gilmore, Metal, Media Publications, SPM, Stanmore, Timmore, and Key. Apparently, in an attempt to stay one step ahead of the creditors, uh, his best-known horror comic would probably be Mr. Mystery, which ran for 19 issues from September 1951 until October 1954. One historian noted that Morse produced several acutely vile horror comics in some of the grossest and most vile of the time. And when Morse himself was interviewed in 2008, he said, you did what you had to do, you moved them off the racks. I don't know what the hell I published, I never knew, I never read the things, I never cared. Another interesting thing about Morse's publications is that Steve Ditko had his first published work in Morse's Daring Love Number 1, which was published under the Gilmore Magazine imprint. So certainly an early example of guerrilla comics publishing, to borrow a phrase from George Romero. So we'll take a look at Weird Chills number three when we get back, so stick around. Horror and crime comics upset kids. I'm not talking about any subtle distortion of their emotional makeup. I think that occurs too. But there's a more noticeable, immediate effect. You can see the tension develop as the story gets more gruesome. And if it's a bad one, the kid is a mass of jangled nerves by the time he's through it. All right, we're back and ready for a good old pre-code comic nerve jangling. Stanley Morse's Weird Chills was published for a whopping three issues from July to November 1954. Uh, The issue we're going to be looking at, number three carried the uh, key publications imprint, but I don't believe that was true for all three issues. I guess that was just an example of uh, Morse throwing a curveball at the creditors. You know, he'd probably just close up shop, move to another location in Manhattan, and publish under a new imprint. Okay, Weird Chills, number three. 
has a cover date of November 1954 and a cover price of 10 cents. And the cover is laid out in a typical horror comics layout of the time. We have the upper third uh, in a solid black field with a large bold font saying weird chills. And the lower two-thirds of the cover is the cover art, and it's excellent. Uh, the Grand Comics database credits it to S. Finichario. I don't know who that is. It actually has a question mark after his name. Uh, but it's a great cover. Uh, it depicts the horror comic go-to standard voluptuous woman who's bound to a tree, and she is watching these two gargoyleish or creature from the Black Lagoon looking characters uh, getting ready to do battle with each other and it's taking place in a uh, foggy and misty graveyard. So this book has 36 pages with four comic stories and one text story. The first story is called Terror on TV where a young ambitious TV producer uh, stages a production where these vampiric monsters are taking over a television studio. But is it really a show or not? The second story is called Clumsy, where a wife convinces her clumsy scientist husband to freeze her body and put her in suspended animation for seven years. And when she's declared legally dead, they'll collect the insurance money. Next up is Voice of Doom, where a parrot convinces his abusive owner that his beautiful pregnant wife is having an affair. Then we have our text story, which is entitled Fateful Fairy. And finally, closing out the book is the story entitled The Boogeyman, where a shady aunt and uncle plan to drive their young, rich, orphan nephew crazy so they can collect his inheritance. So that's a brief synopsis of the stories in Weird Chills number three. But we're not finished. When we come back, we'll dig deeper into our featured story. So stick around. Someday spaceships will be traveling from Earth to other planets. How are human beings going to survive on those planets? The atmosphere will be different. The pressures will be different. By studying these and other species, we add to our knowledge of how life evolved, how it adapted itself to this world. With that knowledge, Perhaps we can teach men to adapt themselves to some new world of the future. Nice speech, David, but there's still a practical side to it. If I sound brash and more like a banker than a scientist, try to remember that it takes money to run an institute like ours. A find of any real importance can be of great financial value to us also. Certainly your board couldn't disapprove. It certainly couldn't. Dr. Maia, you've got yourself an expedition. Good. We'll leave for Manaus in the morning. From there, we'll take a boat upriver. Some brave words from a group of adventurers just before they head to South America, the Amazon River, and finally the Black Lagoon in 1954. Okay, our featured story for Weird Chills number three is entitled Clumsy. And I do have some creator credits for this from the Grand Comics database at comics.org, and that would be... Pencils and Inks by Eugene Hughes. Bit of a tongue twister. Uh, Hughes did a lot of horror and war comics art in the 50s. I'd say he's best known for his work on DC's Our Army at War, which featured and would eventually have its title changed to Sergeant Rock. Uh, well-known 
legendary DC character who I don't believe is appearing in the comics anymore. I mean, it's been quite a while. He's still out there, though. Uh, I know there was a reference to his existence in the CW TV show Legends of Tomorrow. I believe it was in the first season. Uh, We saw his uh, classic helmet. So he's still floating around out there somewhere in the DC Universe. Okay, uh, our featured story. Now, I failed to mention earlier that this book, at least this issue of Weird Chills, is hosted by an unnamed host. And actually, his or her appearance, because I'm not sure on the gender of this character, uh, is pretty generic. Uh, It's just a hooded, uh, ghoulish-looking character. But we get an introduction from our host, and it goes like this. Fred Harris had two faults in the eyes of his wife, Rita. One was the lack of money, but most people have that fault, so she couldn't be too angry at that. It was the other defect that bothered her. Her husband was just too clumsy. And we see in his first panel that uh, Fred is tripping over the couch and spilling a tray of ice water on his wife's new sweater. And uh, she says, there are times when I wonder why I love you. You're so clumsy. But reader, darling, I I can't help it. I guess I was born with two left hands. Our host goes on to tell us that uh, she could put up with his clumsiness. It was the question of money or the lack of it. It was beginning to get her down. And she tells Fred, "Uh, it's no use. I've hid this long enough. What good is a marriage without money? The saying two can live as cheaply as one is nonsense. And uh, Fred says, I know a scientist doesn't make much, but we've managed to get along. Now, you know, I've heard in stories, you know, I've heard of struggling artists or struggling writers, but a struggling scientist, well, I guess it's possible. It's just not something you normally hear of. And uh, Rita goes on to say she's been poor all her life and we've got to change that. We need more money. I'm beginning to think that I don't care how you get it. And uh, at this point, Rita thinks back in time about how they met and we see that They met in a restaurant when Fred tripped once again and spilled a cup of coffee on Rita's dress. And then we see him tripping over the threshold and dropping her on the floor on their wedding night. And remembering further, there he is hanging a picture on the wall and smashing the frame as he's hanging it, spilling drinks on visiting guests, and it just goes on and on. This guy's just, uh, like he said, has two left hands. But she loved Fred, there was no question of that. All he had to do was take her in his arms and she forgot all about him being clumsy, all the embarrassment that he had caused her. But she thinks to herself, if we had only had money, wealth, this marriage would be perfect. So now we see Fred down in his laboratory somewhere in the house and you know, I gotta say for a struggling uh, scientist, he has quite the setup in his lab. Uh, Unless maybe that's where he spent all their money, I don't know. He's working from home, so I guess he's a freelancer. So who knows where the money is coming into this house. But anyway, he's down in his laboratory, and he has a cat. And he's placing this cat on ice, and Rita comes in and asks him what he's doing. So he says he's trying something with suspended animation, trying to keep the cat alive barely for a period of time. It's something the Russians have had some success with. And I think I finished their work. By packing the animal in ice, I believe I can keep this animal alive like this for years. But Rita, she wanted to know more about the suspended animations. She says, well, would it work on a human? And for how long of a period? Say, about seven years? Well, Fred says, I've never 
tried any experiments on a human, but I have enough faith in my work to say that it would work. As for how long, I suppose you could keep something suspended that long, as long as someone was around to make sure that nothing went wrong. So at that point, Rita, she's uh, heard enough, and she decides she has some thinking to do. So Rita comes up with this plan, and she tells Fred, we'll take out a large insurance policy on my life, then you'll pack me in ice, suspended animation, for seven years, I'll be declared legally dead, and then you and I can collect the money. Of course, you'll have to bring me back to life, and we'll go away and start over. But this time, we'll be rich. Fred says, no, you can't, you can't mean that. She says, if you really love me, if you want that money too, because without money, this marriage will break up, and you don't want that, do you? And Fred says, no, I couldn't bear to lose you. I, I couldn't. Uh, okay, I'll go through with it. So the next day, they head off to see an insurance agent and uh, take out... $100,000 life insurance policy on Rita. And the salesman says, uh, there's your policy. Uh, seems strange, though. Most families, it's the husband who's insured, not the wife. And Fred tells him, oh, never mind about that, mister. We have our reasons. So now Fred begins to see the possibilities of the scheme. After all, it was his money, too, or it would be his money in seven years. And uh, she says, we've done it. He says, no, not yet. This is the first step. Now comes the more difficult part. So they head home, and they decide to wait about a year, you know, just so there's no suspicion, you know. We wouldn't want her disappearing uh, the day after they open up this life insurance policy on her. So a year passes, and finally it was time to conduct the experiment. And we see Rita lying on a slab, and Fred looming over her with a mask. And it, I gotta tell you, the composition of this panel um, is quite suggestive. I mean, we see uh, a very voluptuous... Uh, Rita lying there with a eyes closed sort of look of ecstasy on her face and her husband looming over her saying, ready darling, and her replying yes. Uh, it's certainly implied, at least in my dirty mind, uh, that there's something else going on here, although we, re we know there really isn't. So anyway, he uh, gasses her with ether and she falls asleep and now he packs her in ice and... Uh, he says, a little more ice now. I've just got to keep that temperature down. And he uh, then removes the blood from her body and freezes it into a small bracelet. A bracelet which he strings around her neck. Now, wouldn't that be a necklace? But it's referred to as a bracelet in the text. But it's clearly being placed around her neck. So she's under the ice here. And uh, I guess he's going to be busy for the next seven years. And keeping the ice factory in business because uh, that ice is going to have to be replaced continuously. Uh, the perfectionist in the man comes into play now because uh, he has the opportunity to do something he'd always dreamed about. And he says, now I can straighten out that little bump on her nose. It sure is easy when it's just ice. So he takes a scalpel and he starts to shave away this imperfection on her nose. And then we're told finally the task was finished and Rita lay there, shimmering, shiny mold of a beautiful woman, of an ice woman, of a Mona Lisa in crystal. So Fred ends up reporting Rita's disappearance and of course there was an inquest, but there was no body to be found. So I guess they didn't search the uh, basement or wherever this uh, laboratory is located. And uh, so he has to wait seven years to collect the money and... It was just as Rita had said, just as uh, she figured. It was no wonder that he loved Rita. Who else could help but love a woman like that? You know, someone who would come up with this idea, I guess. 
Uh, so the times passed and the months turned into years and somehow Fred managed to act the part of the morning husband. Uh, for deep inside he really was a morning husband because what fun was there in being married when he had no wife? So finally Fred couldn't take the loneliness any longer and he had to see Rita to look at her beautiful face. So he goes off to the laboratory. He sees her, you know, lying on the slab, but you know what? She's no longer in ice, so I'm not really sure what's going on here or if it's just a uh, continuity mistake, something the editor missed, but she's lying on this slab, she's frozen, there's no ice, um, so I'm not sure what exactly is going on there, but there's no ice. And uh, he hears something. Uh, he thinks it's someone at the door, and his clumsiness rears its ugly head again, and he accidentally runs into the slab where Rita is lying, and she falls to the floor and is broken into a million little pieces. So our host tells us he had to save her, to bring her back to life, to put the pieces back together again. No longer did he think of the money. Now he was only interested in saving his wife, but she was like a jigsaw puzzle. His job was to put her together before it was too late. And yes, he put her back together again, or as best he could, but somehow she didn't look the same. Well, Fred was a little clumsy at that sort of thing, and then again, parts of her body had melted, so you couldn't expect to need a job, could you? And so now we see Rita, and she says, Look at me, look at me, you clumsy, awkward idiot. Look what you've done. And she is uh, in quite the state of disrepair. <laughs> uh, she's all twisted up. And uh, I guess uh, that's his reward. So our narrator closes out the story with this little quip. Fred and Rita are still married. But somehow they act a little cold towards each other. And when they embrace, Fred complains that she feels like ice. And of course, Rita doesn't dare go out into the sun. Well, what can you expect when somebody's assets are frozen? <laughs> and that concludes our story. Okay, uh, you know, plot holes and inconsistencies and all. I, I thought this was a rather clever story. Uh, you know, we get the uh, time-tested horror morality tale plot of taking out a bogus insurance policy. I mean, how many times have, is that story used? But this was an interesting twist, you know, with the suspended animation and the freezing of the body thing. Um, I thought the story was uh, quite interesting. Like I said, plot holes and uh, inconsistencies aside. If Stanley Morse had the reputation of publishing some of the most vile horror comic stories, he certainly didn't get that reputation from this story. Uh, no idea who wrote this, but... Uh, Eugene Hughes' artwork is outstanding, uh, very crisp lines, uh, whoever did the uh, coloring, nice use of colors, uh, just a great artwork overall. As far as our Poe for the episode, uh, I'm kind of torn between the uh, suggestive composition of the panel where Rita's lying on the slab and the final panel when we see uh, Rita put back together again. Uh, so I'm going to put them both up there. So we'll have two panels of the episode for this episode. So there you have it. That was Clumsy from Weird Chills, number three, published by Stanley Morse in 1954. Okay, so before we close this episode down, we're going to uh, open the random comic generator, or energize the random comic generator once again and see what we're going to cover for next episode. Uh, here we go. And, uh, you know, I did some maintenance on this during this little hiatus I have, but it still is quite noisy.
Alright, let's see what we got. Next up, we're going to have The Hand of Fate, number 20, published by Ace Magazines in 1953, so another pre-code book. And we'll take a look at that next episode. If you'd like to get a hold of me, leave some comments. I'm always open for uh, suggestions on how to make this podcast better. You can do that at fourcolorfear at gmail.com. You can also visit the blog, fourcolorfear.blogspot.com. You can subscribe to the RSS feed there. We do have a Facebook group. Search for Four Color Fear on Facebook. And remember, Four Color Fear is always spelled the number four, C-O-L-O-R-F-E-A-R. Thanks for listening, and I'll see you soon. Bye-bye. This episode of Four Color Fear is dedicated to the memory of the monkeys Peter Tork and brought to you by the letter M.